The question was, what is your favorite beer? Not can you name all the beers of the world, Kurt? It was the kale smoothie of Mesopotamia. It was a social lubricant. They baptized their children in beer. Can you tell me which state drinks more beer per capita than any other? In Ireland and England, you could get a prescription for Guinness. There is a way to chill a beer in two minutes. Wowza, wowza, wowza. It's Smart Dribble's 51st episode. This is your co-host, Kurt Schneider, and I'm joined by... Don Ellenthal, and there are not that many podcasts that celebrate their 51st episode, but why not? Wow. So we are celebrating because we are in the backside of the first 100 of Smart Dribble. And I thought for this topic, why don't we delve right in to something that happens to be one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. Other than gin martinis. Other than gin martinis. In fact, this object of my affection predates the gin martini by about eight years, maybe. Oh, in your personal life, not in their respective histories. <laughs> and respective history it predates the gin martini probably by eight, nine thousand, ten thousand years. I think that's right. Hey, Kurt, beer me. That's what we're talking about. Beer me. What's that from? Beer me. It's from a commercial. I think it's a Bud Light commercial or something. But we're going to talk about beer, 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 cerveza, and really how it started how it saved civilization, how it saved the world, its impact, it's larger than life. Talk about punching above its weight class. This this one beverage has done more for civilization than probably any other food or group or drink ever. You don't hear that from that many people, that beer saved civilization and has done more for civilization than any other drink. You must, of course, be referring to the fact that an infinite number of children have been conceived inadvertently because parents drank too much beer. Is that what you mean? Well, I think that's one part. That's an after effect. But I'm actually going way back to how it actually is credited for starting civilization as we know it. Okay, so that's a rather big claim. Can you give us some evidence to believe that beer is responsible for now starting and saving civilization? Yes, I can. First of all, besides the gin martini, it is my favorite beverage of all time, and I've imbibed quite a few in my lifetime. That point, of course, is not responsive to the point, the question about how it actually started and saved civilization. It actually is because it saved my soul, and therefore, if it saved my soul, I can think about all the other souls it saved. So here's how it goes, John. (laughs) Way back when, 10,000 years ago, maybe? Yeah. Man and woman, humans, were a nomadic tribe that just walked wherever trying to like kill a mastodon and eat it or something like that. All of a sudden, somehow, and what happened was they were growing a grain and there must have been some rainfall or something that fell in this little footprint and stayed there and fermented the grain. And someone tried it and said, damn, this is good. Not only did it taste good, it also gave more protein than bread, which also could have disease in it and and other problems. So beer became the healthy, the nutritious, and the great tasting object to help them A, live longer, B, 
they stopped being nomadic so that they could grow beer because they had to stop and wait for the greens. So that's one. That was the physical reason why it started civilization. It was sort of the smoothie of Mesopotamia. It was the kale smoothie of Mesopotamia. Yes. Uh, It it tasted like that, too. It was even mentioned in Gilgamesh, a book that, you know, I like to talk about, but the first book. So that is the one part of it, John. The second part of it, though, is even, I think, a larger impact on civilization. It transformed these nomads from their herd mentality of you stay in your clan, you stay in your role, you don't do anything. And the first proverbial keg party, when they started imbibing this and potating beer, it brought out this, it stirred something in their in their psyche that nailed and defeated social anxiety and allowed civilization for people to talk and fraternize and copulate. And copulate, back to my point. So your argument for how beer saved civilization is that it was an early source of essential nutrition. Yes. Secondly, it was a social lubricant. Yes. The liquid courage that promoted interaction between previously inwardly focused tribes. Yes. And therefore, beer has saved civilization. Back to your premise. Well, it, you gave up your nomadic ways. So first of all, it started settlements. We didn't have settlements before. It started people standing and sitting in places all over the world, by the way. So every continent did this, and it was the same drink. But even as long as 24th century BC, a king in Mesopotamia called Urukagina had the code of Urukagina, which is considered the first legal code in recorded history. And in it, they prescribed beer as a central unit of both payment and penance. So it was used as an integral part of society in the 24th century BC. Clearly, we were lacking currencies at that point. So as much as beer does date back to further than 10,000 BC, the first civilization to write down the recipe for beer was 5,000 years later in 5,000 BC, because I believe the Egyptians, the pharaohs, actually wrote down the recipe for beer on papyrus, which he who writes history. So I think the Egyptians probably get official credit for inventing beer, although there is evidence earlier. And beer is such an important part of the Egyptian civilization. A, they baptized their children in beer. That's how much they revered it. B, pyramid construction workers were paid in beer, a gallon a day for their labors. We wouldn't have had the Great Pyramids if it weren't for beer, John. And you seem to know a lot about beer, Kurt. So may I ask you some beer trivia to see how deep your knowledge of beer actually goes? I would love that, John. Yes. And then I'm going to ask you about its impact in medieval Europe. Okay. Let's focus on some trivia. I like to ask you questions. And you're actually pretty good at answering them. But when you're not pretty good, that gives me some strange pleasure, which is an indication of just the general genetic weakness of humans. In any event, focusing on the U.S., where clearly beer is a big deal, can you tell me which state drinks more beer per capita than any other? Per capita? I would say Illinois. You would be wrong. 
but geographically, you're not that far. Wisconsin. I said not that far, so you really can't choose a contiguous state because I would have said that was close. I sort of went, ah, that's sort of close. So it would be totally inappropriate like you did to choose a contiguous state. So what did you choose then? North Dakota. North Dakota is actually correct. Each resident drank more than 40 gallons, 43.6 gallons of the stuff a year, at least the last time they measured this stuff. I think we drank 43 gallons a week in college. But do you realize that I'm talking about the average resident? Yeah. Did you take math class in college? (laughs) No, I never did. So I was not saying every resident. I'm saying the average resident, more than 40 gallons. New Hampshire was number two. You know why? Because Dartmouth is in New Hampshire. You are correct. And Montana was number three. You know why? Because Montana State is in Montana. A lot of people would have thought Vegas, right? Nevada, but that was actually number seven. Okay. So I will ask you one more trivia question. I'm going to ask you a trivia question now. All right. What was the name of the brewery that Laverne and Shirley worked for? That would be Hots and Shots or Shots Brewery. It was Shots. Yeah. Because they would be or something like that, right? They would be singing in the opening credits, you know, Hots and Shots Incorporated. So maybe it was actually Hots and Shots. I thought it was Schatzenheimer. I'll ask you another trivia question. Thank you for the Laverne and Shirley. What does the 33 on Rolling Rock bottles mean? In, yeah, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Well, that's yeah. where it's from. That's where they make Rolling Rock. Right. That has always been the big question. What does it mean? Is there 33 ingredients? Does it take 33 days to brew? What is it? That's always what they talk about. So it's 33. Well, that would not be an answer, but it is indeed, they put a 33. The truth is, no one actually knows, but Rolling Rock presents like 11 different theories of its own, because Rolling Rock doesn't even know. One of the theories is that the founding members of the brewery bet $33 on horse 33 and one, which doesn't seem credible or plausible, or the fact that the beer is brewed at 33 degrees. But most people think it's because the... Latrobe Brewery, where it's made, was bought in 1933. 1933 is a big year in American beer consumption. Can you tell me why? Yes, because prohibition was revoked in 1933. It was rebuked and revoked and repealed. Yes, repealed. And repudiated. In any event, I, you know, the fact that it was the end of prohibition to me seems like as good a reason as any as to why a beer company puts 33 on its bottles. Since you are such a beer aficionado, there is a way to chill a beer in two minutes. Would you like to share that with our audience? In two minutes? Or would you like, and based on your response, would you like me to share it with our yes, audience? please. So all it takes to chill a beer is ice and salt in a bowl mm-hmm. and stirring it. It's, it. That's all you have to do. You basically stir this solution, drop your beer in, and in two minutes, you'll have a cold beer. So, Kurt, throw away your freezer. You don't need it. So, we used to, in the Adirondacks, when we'd go there in the summer, when we were like 14 and we get beer, we'd put it in the lake to try to keep it cold. Oh, that's smart. What was the temperature of the lake? Like 60-something degrees? Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> uh, it's, it's clever until you actually think about it. So, we, we were discussing prohibition a few minutes ago, and 
I wonder how you would have done during Prohibition. You would have spent a fair bit of time in the uh, speakeasy, eh? Yes, I would have been in Chumley's and a bunch of others in New York. I will mention my grandfather. He ran a speakeasy during Prohibition. He was quite the New York character. So he ran one of those places. But during Prohibition, because people were not going to give up their beer so easily, believe it or not, there was a made-up concept called medical beer that brewers and physicians and drinkers would use to skirt prohibition. It ultimately, when Congress found out about that, they said, no bueno, no more medical beer. What was the claim? It claimed it had must have had some sort of healing benefits. The truth is, when you drink beer, you do, even though it's alcohol is a depressant, you do feel good for a little while. Well, and in Ireland and England, you could get a prescription for Guinness because the idea was that it had iron in it. And you could, Guinness is good for you, was their advertising campaign for about 70 years. Well, it goes back to your opening concept, which is the first evidence of beer and beer drinking was in part for its nutritional benefits. And as beer went from first the Middle East and then to the Mediterranean and finally Europe, there were parts of Northern Europe that actually considered it an important source of nutrition. So that has stuck with it over the years, although it doesn't seem to be present in our current perception of beer. But in medieval Europe, they drank it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everyone drank. There was alehouses everywhere. It was just the drink you had. And you did it instead of water because the water was contaminated back then. Right. That's right. They drank it as an alternative to basically drinking water. I also was told they used it as a painkiller when women were in labor. They drank it? Yes. They, they didn't apply it topically. No. <laughs> or maybe just the doctor and nurses or, and the father drank it. I, well, they say, actually, the reason why it worked is maybe women would have a second child and it helped population because... It wasn't that bad. They were having a bunch of beers while they gave birth. Yeah, I think it had a lot more to do with the fact that memories fade over time <laughs> and the real feelings attached to those things. So you not only love beer, but you love presidential history, correct? Correct. I'm going to combine two of your loves in a fun fact that you probably don't know. And it's the kind of fun fact that Smart Dribble's all about because yeah. it's the kind of thing you go, you know what? I didn't need to know that, but I'm kind of glad I do. So one of the ways that Abraham Lincoln helped pay for the Civil War was he levied a tax on beer to raise revenues because fighting the Civil War is expensive in a lot of ways. I thought you were going to say that the founding fathers were all brewers, which is true, but I did not know that. Was that one of the first taxes? must have been. Fortunately, it wasn't a situation where everyone threw their beer bottles into the Boston Harbor because that would be counterproductive because people like to drink the beer, unless they were trying to chill it, because they hadn't learned the lesson that you learned by putting your beer in the lake when you were a young person. So I will give you the best evidence I've got about just how important beer was to Europeans and European life. Do you know why the pilgrims actually stopped at Plymouth Rock? It is largely because they were out of beer and needed to come on land to brew more beer. And this was actually all mined from journals that some of the pilgrims kept. The first structure that the pilgrims built, believe it or not, was a brewery, Kurt. And after they drank so much of it and they had to urinate, the Indians said, European. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You know, it sounds like 
I set you up for that, but I did <laughs> not. That was just one of those moments that make you very happy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ben Franklin. Uh, more about Mesopotamia, Kurt. Well, first of all, Ben Franklin's famous quote, you know, sometimes they say it's about wine, but it was not. It was about beer. Ben said, beer is living proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Okay. Ben Franklin. You wanted to tell us more about Mesopotamia earlier in our episode. No, I was just talking about how that was just part of history and how it, it became part of civilization. And it was not only used as a currency, it was used as a, a wedding gift. It was used everywhere. In fact, when they excavated not only in Egypt, but also Mesopotamia, old tombs, in one of them, they found a golden straw for drinking beer. How do you know it was for drinking beer and not something more deviant? Because there was papyrus next to it that was written on it. said, this is for me to be able to drink beer in the afterlife. Okay, more well, deviant. I don't know. <laughs> I, just wanted, going? I just wanted to see what you can come up with. So we were talking a few minutes ago, Kurt, about prohibition. You remember? Yeah. So prohibition comes along, what is it, 1920 to 1933? Before prohibition, there were thousands of microbreweries in the U.S., we come out of Prohibition, 1933. What happens next? The Great Depression. The Great Depression. Yeah. And people didn't exactly have a lot of extra cash lying around to pay for beer. So the only beers that were viable at that point were the beers that could be mass produced at a very low cost. Budweiser and Schlitz. But Budweiser, that's when they really became the self-proclaimed king of beers because they were mass-producing at a low cost. And the microbreweries pretty much disappeared. In the 70s and 80s, That we were down to just a few hundred microbreweries left in the country. Now, we've seen a huge resurgence in Sam Adams and stuff like that. But for a long time... Interesting. So they were regional beers, but they were still mass-produced low-end. I remember my dad would buy a case of Carling Black Label, and the case would cost $4.50. Right, but was that regional? It was regional. But they must be producing enough scale that they could achieve, achieve the low unit cost. That's what I'm saying. Basically, because of the Depression, it pretty much wiped out all of the local microbreweries, which were a big deal in this country, which is no more or less ridiculous a claim than claiming that beer is responsible for saving civilization. Wait, starting and saving without beer... We would have been nomads that would have not procreated, would have died of malnutrition, and would have walked just into the desert or wherever they were and would have been killed by animals. So exactly. it actually did save. In fact, no greater thought leader in the world than Homer, Simpson, than Homer Simpson. So it wasn't Gandhi? No, it was Homer Not Simpson. Mandela? Homer Simpson. Winston Churchill. Albert Einstein, what did, what did Newton say about beer? Homer Simpson. Oh, I should have guessed that. Said beer, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Essential truth captured in that statement. How would you feel if you found out that you were conceived in a beer-induced haze that your parents were under? Would that change anything? No, it would make me proud. I was going to say it probably would make you feel better. Yeah. Beer has played an incredible role in my life since about the age of 13. We would go on Boy Scout hikes and we would drink beer on Boy Scout hikes. We would, it was part of 
a big part of every summer where you went and tried to put it in the lake. We drank Matt's beer balls, the keg uh, party in the Matt's woods. Beer balls. We've talked about Matt's beer balls. That is a absolute rite of passage for college kids in the early 80s when you not only had a beer ball, which is a fun shape, but you had to own your own plastic tap. And yeah. owning your own tap, you felt like a big deal. In fact, literally about four years ago, I threw out my Matt's beer ball tap, which I brought with me the whole time because it was that important that we kept. Now, listen, considering how far it goes back in human civilization, you know, back easily 10,000 BC, I think you can make a good argument that it is one of the through lines in human history is beer. Can I just argue, John, not one of, but the through line in human history? I think we could probably think about it, but I don't want to destroy your perception of beer as the defining aspect of human history and the thing that connects us all indelibly across the ages. Because I wouldn't do that to you, Kurt, because I see how important it is to you. We cannot end this episode, which we do need to end soon, without declaring our favorite beers. Okay, you go first. What is your? I was going to ask you that. I have peculiar tastes when it comes to alcohol. Mm -hmm. For example, I enjoy cheap beer, but very expensive tequila. There's no rhyme or reason to this. But I'm not going to choose the cheapest of cheap beers, despite that being more my speed. I will say my favorite beer, and I do love it, and you've seen me drink it, so this is not made up, is Red Stripe Mm -hmm. from Jamaica. Yes. I love Red Stripe. Not only do I love the taste of Red Stripe, I love the whole Jamaican vibe of the brand. What do you think? I think Red Stripe's fantastic. I think when people say to me, what's your favorite beer? I say yes. Yeah, very good. That does make sense. The only beer I don't like is wheat beer. I was in Baden-Baden, Germany once, and someone said, oh, have this, it's Weiss beer. And I was so excited. Do not like the aftertaste of wheat beer at all. Okay, so what is your favorite beer? I also don't like sour beer, which is now trying to be a rage because it's trying to counteract the IPAs getting too hoppy and hoppy and hoppy. I think there is nothing better on a hot day than an ice cold Budweiser. So I still love that. I do too. I was going to say Budweiser, but I wanted to just up it a little bit. But I do like Budweiser. And I do like Rolling Rock, the aforementioned Rolling Rock. No, I don't because it became too expensive for no reason when it was hot and trendy in the late 80s in New York. I love Guinness. It's one of my favorite beers of all time. I love almost all of the British beers. Uh, I like Fuller's Pride, London Pride, which is Fuller's. I love, love, love a good IPA that comes out of some of these small places like Two Roads Brewery. The question was, what is your favorite beer? Not can you name all the beers of the world, Kurt? I answered yes. That's true. You did answer yes. I, I take back my admonition. You're absolutely right. You did say yes. But I think my favorite beer campaign of all time is actually not a Budweiser campaign, but I don't think you can do any better than light beer, which is tastes great, less filling. And they had people lining up on both sides and they got sports figures in it. And what a great way to put out the two, albeit competing benefits of the product. But that campaign was an awesome campaign. Tastes great, less filling. So they actually teach that in a lot of marketing classes because in advertising, Until then, the big thing was you needed a single-minded proposition, just one benefit. You drive it home. You drive it home. And they came out with two, and they made it work. It is brilliant. And I still advise 
people today that you got one thing to say, and that's the most number of things you got to say if you're trying to communicate with others. And this episode would not be complete. Any discussion of beer would not be complete without mentioning the 12 days of Christmas from Doug and Bob McKenzie off the Great White North, three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. I'm not going to sing you that song, but I urge you and our listeners to go on YouTube and listen to Doug and Bob McKenzie singing the 12 days of Christmas in honor of beer. And I'm going to urge all of our listeners to dive back to their high school years after they listen to this. Go down to the basement, find a funnel, find some find tubage, a funnel. <laughs> find some tubage and do yourself a beer bong and cheers, everyone. Tubage, huh? <laughs> you know, people don't seem to say cheers as much with beer as they do other alcohols, do they? I think they do. They say skull and prost and everything else. Okay. Well, listen, before we end this episode, would you mind begging our audience to visit our social media accounts, leave reviews, and tell their friends to join Smart Dribble? and all the fun we have. Do exactly what John said. All right, listen, Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode of Smart Drivel. Until then, we hope your lives are filled with Smart Drivel and beer. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>